intrepid leaders and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Log where we talk about navigating everyday leadership. In this episode we're doing something uh, a little bit different. You know how we like to mix, mix things up. Um, and so we thought it would be nice to get some leaders on the show to just chat with us about, to be honest, like a day in their life. Um, you know, how they do navigate these everyday leadership challenges that we've talked about in some of our other podcasts. And so here is our first episode in that format. And we were thrilled to have the opportunity to have a chat with the lovely Andrea Sutcliffe, the Chief Executive and Registrar of the Nursing and Midwifery Council. Um, and so join us as Andrea shares her leadership journey to date. And we ponder how actually it's okay to have a bit of a squiggly career. You know, you haven't got to go in, you know, the the only direction isn't upwards. Um it's okay to go off the beaten path. In fact, maybe it makes us stronger and, and more insightful. Uh, and she gives us an insight into a typical day, although we do spend some time, or at least I do spend some time reflecting on if there is such a thing as a typical day for her and for any of us, to be honest. Um, and then I also ask her what she believes are some of the greatest leadership challenges for nurses and midwives at the moment. So if you want to know what she said, you're going to have to stay tuned. You know, chatting with Andrew was like sitting down for coffee with an old friend. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation and putting people at the heart of all that she does was a clear message for me. Uh, it's what I heard throughout our conversation. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, Andrea, and welcome to the Leadership Blog. It's so lovely to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely fabulously, Becky, and all the better for um, being able to have this conversation with you. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. It's been a long time, I think, isn't it, in the planning. Um, so it's really lovely to um, have you, like I've said today. And I think um, for me, what would be really keen for our listeners is to understand a little bit about your leadership journey and where you are because I'm sure you didn't just wake up one day and suddenly become the uh, the chief executive of the NMC so yeah if you could start by telling us a bit about that leadership journey and and what got you to where you are today. Very happy to Becky very happy to and you're absolutely right if I go back to little old me in Darlington um, in the 1970s when I was at school I would be utterly astonished to be where I am now as the Chief Executive and Registrar of the Nursing Midwifery Council. So actually, there are two answers to the question about my leadership journey. Um, and the first is my CV journey. You know, So the bit that I kind of put on the application forms for other things. So um, I left Darlington, uh, which is where I grew up, and went to London, did a history degree, moved into the health service, uh, worked at a local level, initially in finance and then um, business planning, and then moved into managing services uh, in uh, across health and social care um, at a local level. Um, and uh, in terms of community services and also a, a, at an acute level, which included regional and tertiary services. So I managed old people services, including mental health care of old people. And I managed children and women services. And I also managed neurosciences um, services. So wow. a real, you know, a yeah. real mixture of different areas. And then in 2000, I moved into national roles. So I started off as an executive director at what was then the National Institute for Clinical Excellence and now has an even grander title. Um, but I was there when NICE was just 20 people when it started. And uh, it's obviously so much bigger than that now and huge um, uh, international influence, not just influence um, within the UK. I was there for a good seven years and then wanted to move into into a more senior leadership position. For the last four years at NICE, I was the deputy chief executive and, you know, I kind of wanted to run my own show. And You wanted to be and in charge. Quite, 
absolutely. <laughs> and it was quite clear that the chief executive at the time wasn't going anywhere soon, um, which was entirely correct because he didn't actually leave until 2020. So I'd have been waiting for a blooming long time to be the chief executive there. Um, and I moved to an organisation called the Appointments Commission, which at that stage existed to appoint the chairs and non-executive directors of health organisations, other arm's length bodies, and also to provide guidance around governance and those sorts of issues. We were done for in the bonfire of the Quangos um, in 2010-2012 and I was very lucky. I found the most fantastic role. In fact, several members of my team saw it advertised and brought the advert into me um, you know, because, of course, we were already abolished by this stage. So um, you wouldn't want people to be suggesting that you'd be going on to another job normally, <laughs> but this was very kind of yeah, them. Yeah, not really. And this... <laughs> this was the Social um, Social Care Institute for Excellence. So the similar body to uh, NICE, but for social care. So um, setting guidance and providing uh, supportive material uh, for people in social care. But that role took me to the Care Quality Commission, where in 2013, I became the Chief Inspector of Adult Social Care at a time when the CQC was, uh, you know, um, a bit of a challenge, I think it's fair to say. Mm -hmm. And we were needing to really revolutionise how we were uh, doing um, doing it, um, how we were doing inspections, how we were doing regulation and what we needed to do to connect with the people who were providing services, but also the people and their families um, who were using services. And that's where... I came up with the mum test and, you know, which wasn't new, wasn't original, but um, was encouraging people to think about if this was a service that you mm. were inspecting and it was a service that your mum or anybody that you loved was using, then, you know, would it be good enough for them? And if it would be, fantastic, let's celebrate that. But if not, we needed to do something about it. Mm. So that really kind of influenced um, what I uh, was doing at the CQC in that leadership position there. And then in um, 2019, I started as the chief executive of the Nursing and Midwifery Council. So as I say, that's the CV. That's the kind of, you know, yeah. it sounds all very logical, doesn't it? I mean, it wasn't at all. It was very random. Various things came up at different times. And I took sideways moves uh, a couple of times. I took a, a, a move which actually took me down in terms of um, my uh, salary and, uh, uh, and things, but actually gave me much more uh, scope to develop in the future. So it was a bit of an eclectic CV journey. But I think what's perhaps more important and thinking about this from a leadership perspective is what's your personal journey that brings you to where you are now? Mm -hmm. And and I think there's there's three things that um, I, I've thought about there. And the first is that throughout all of that time, I learned what I like to do. Yeah. And I think what's really important for people as leaders and in whatever job that we do is that we enjoy what we do and because we spend way too much time at work to be miserable. So what was really important for me was learning that what I wanted to do was to make a difference, make a difference for people who were using services. And whilst I loved doing that at a local level, you know, I really enjoyed the interaction with the, the, the patients and the families and all of those sorts of things. Working at a national level, as I have now been doing since 2000, brings more influence. You can have of that, course, make that yeah. difference on a much bigger stage. And regulation even more so. I mean, the Nursing Midwifery Council, we have over three quarters of a million nurses, midwives and nursing associates on the register. Wow. And they touch the lives of every UK citizen. So, you know, that yeah. is just phenomenal. phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, jinx. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal it, you know, indeed. That, so, so learning what I wanted to do, what I like to do, really important in terms of taking me through that CV and those different opportunities, making the most of it. 
The second bit of the personal journey is learning what I was capable of doing. Mm. And, And I think this is something really interesting. I've had various conversations with people over the last couple of years about imposter syndrome. And I suffer from that like anybody else does. You know, that little voice on your shoulder going, really? You think you can do that? Um, And as I say, you know, if I go back to what I was like in the 70s and think about where I am now, I'd, I'd be astonished. But what was what I think has been important is for me to say, yeah, I am capable of managing things. I do get things done. Um, I can communicate. You know, I can communicate in writing. I can communicate, you know, in one to one conversations like we're having. I can stand up on a stage. Um, I've even had to cope with communicating via the Today programme on Radio 4. You know, know, those are sorts of things that I can do doesn't say mean that I don't get nervous when I'm doing them because I do mm. but I can I am capable of it and I am capable of solving problems I love solving problems and making sure that we get to the the heart of the matter and sort of sort something out that makes things better for people and and I'm also capable of supporting other people. And I, it's one of the things I love doing in, in the role that I've got is supporting people at you know, different stages of their careers. Uh, we have a, a scheme within um, the, uh, uh, the, the NMC at the moment called Rising Together, where mm. senior members of the team um, are mentoring um, other colleagues, particularly colleagues um, with protected characteristics who have not necessarily had the um, opportunities for progression and promotion that they would have liked. I just love doing that. Absolutely love doing that and supporting people. So so again, kind of learning what I was capable of doing, mm. really important in terms of then saying, yes, I can I can go for that. I can put myself in a position for that. And then the final bit of the learning um, on my leadership journey is really bringing myself into it in terms of knowing what's important. Mm. And what's important is it's all about the people. It is all about the people. It was all about the people when I was managing older people services in the community in Camden in the 1990s. It is all about the people, um, both the public who use health and social care services, the professionals on our register, the, the partners that we work with. And what I think is also really important that I've learned is that there is no harm in bringing your personal experience to bear in terms of being able to make that work. So um, my involuntary childlessness um, you know, is an important impact on me. Um, the um, incredibly sad uh, death of my brother by mm. suicide mm. Um, after a long history of mental health um, issues again, has a re- ha- has had a really profound uh, impact on me. Mm. The experience that family and friends have had of chronic conditions or cancer or emergency treatment, again, all of that kind of um, brings its impact. And now I'm navigating, like so many people of my own age do, um, the health and social care system with my parents, um, which, you know, I do the job I do and I ha- I've had the jobs that I've had and I find it difficult. Oh. So, you know, it's bringing that experience to bear. You know, all of that has an influence and all of that has influenced um, me to become the leader that I am. And I can see the strands of my CV and the strands of my personal development all ending up in this role. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, there's, thank you for that. I mean, that's really, um, <clears throat> really insightful. And there's, I don't know, it's quite spooky as well in some ways. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you for why, that's very Welsh. I'll tell you for why in a second. Um, but so much there to, to unpick. One of the things I hear is like every role you've been in, regulation has kind of been the golden thread in some respect, well, in, in many respects, in most of the roles that you you described, but people, you know, people is at the heart of that, isn't it? And influencing the services for those people, you know, that came through very strongly in, in what you were, were sharing. I love the way you talked about those kind of like three elements from your personal journey. And actually, a friend and I were having a conversation recently, and I shared this on Twitter just a couple of days ago, 
um, around a similar thing around purpose. You know, what is our purpose? And, I, and maybe now more than ever, people are maybe questioning that an awful an awful lot. And it reminded me when I was talking to my friend about the Japanese concept ikigai. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's where these things intersect mm-hmm. and it's finding our true purpose and those activities that bring us true joy. So there's something quite significant in that, isn't it? Because, you know, a large proportion of our, our life is spent in, in work. So why wouldn't we want to do those things that that provide us with that level of of joy and 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 like you you know resonated the problem solving it's hugely important all too often we jump to solutions and we don't really spend that time to understand what the problem is even in the most minutiae of conversations with people when we don't always listen you know there's a great quote by Stephen Covey that says most people do not listen with the intent to understand. Most people listen with the intent to reply. And there's a lot of that stuff goes on, isn't it? Because you're shaking your head. There's, there's, so there's some great stuff in there. But some of the stuff, um, you know, I, I want that you that was quite clear in there was and something that I've heard a lot of recently is this kind of succession stuff. So it's you've got this this pinnacle point in your career to be able to do that kind of um, more kind of like national influencing in terms of your desire to want to make a difference, which is fantastic, phenomenal. Um, but all too often, and, and if I think about where I've worked for the last, well, all of my nursing career, those opportunities for um, kind of progression aren't always readily available. And sometimes it does mean moving out outside of your kind of comfort zone Mm -hmm. but what I liked that you said as well is sometimes you went up down left right any which way you needed to and all but not everybody so what kind of would you know what encouragement would you give people to 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 do that what you know what it you know what sort of benefit did it give you to do those things to move left right up rather than you know in nursing we we think we have to move up that's the only way but actually in terms of progression, sometimes you have to move down, left, right, diagonally, whichever way, like Charlie's glass elevator <laughs> to, to get where you need to get to. So I just wondered if you wanted to lab, if you had anything to kind of elaborate or any advice for people maybe around po- career progression. I, I think it's about uh, two things. One, to pick up your point again about purpose mm. and the um you, you've got to be true to yourself you've got to be true to um what really makes you tick um mm. um what what motivates you what um uh, inspires you because if you if you don't have that then you know particularly if you're in a leadership position how on earth are you going to inspire other people how on earth are you going to bring them along with you mm. so i think whenever any of us are looking at opportunities, are looking at, at um, what it is that they might want to be doing. You just always think through, think yourself into the job, mm. and do you think you're going to be happy doing that? Mm. You know, so you know, don't don't. It's not just about getting through the interview and all of those kind of things. Obviously, there's lots of you know good tips about how you can do all of that, but. Think yourself into the job. And once you're there, do you think you're going to be really, really happy, really motivated? So that's the first thing. And if you are confident about that, then um, think about what it can do for you. So, mm-hmm. as I said, you know, there, there are times when my career kind of, you know, did go off in different tangents. So, you know, and I, I think particularly about the, the point that I went to the Appointments Commission which was a bit sort of left field, really. And um, and I remember I did get asked this question when I, uh, when I applied for the job at the Social Care Institute for Excellence. I thought I'd got all the way through the interview and it was going OK, it was fine. And then um, David Bean um, was the external assessor on the interview panel. And he just sat there at the end and he said, just got another question. <laughs> Just oh one goodness. more. <laughs> Just one more. And and he said, I, I get nice and I get sky, but why on earth did you go to the appointments commission? <laughs> and you know, and what he was saying was this was so different mm. um, that it looks it looks odd. It looks like a bit of a sore thumb sticking out in, uh, of your CV. 
and and I just thought, oh, for goodness sakes, I've been all the way through all. I, I just got to tell the truth. I was because I wanted to be in charge, you know, yeah. and I did. I wanted yeah. to be a chief executive. I wanted to see whether I could do that. And actually, you know, behind that, I do think governance is important. I do think getting the right people um, to lead organisations is an important thing to do. And and we were also providing guidance around governance and all of those sorts of things. So again, I could draw a thread to what I'd been doing um, at NICE. So there was a bit more rationale to it, but I, but I answered that and he said, oh yeah, no, I get that, it's fine, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but it was it was a bit it was a bit different, mm. and sometimes you just got to be brave um, around making some of those choices that might not look obvious, or as you quite um, correctly say, just like on that you know trajectory going upwards, and people might ask you a question about it in the future, but it, you know. Be confident that it's going to make you happy. Be brave about the, the decisions and the choices that you can make that take you somewhere and develop you. Um, and it's certainly developed me. And I wouldn't be doing this job now if I hadn't had the opportunity to be a chief executive at that stage. Yeah, see, that's really interesting. Thank you. That's some great advice. And I think um, uh, one a friend of mine um well, I recently did a leadership program called Climb Wales, and we had to do like these ed talks. As a, um, and one of um, one of the my uh, colleagues in Climb did one that she um, entitled "Squiggly My Squiggly Career." So that's kind of what you've just described in some respects. And it's okay to yeah. go a little bit. You know, nothing in life is as is as certain as straight up, is it? You know. Even sometimes space rockets don't quite go straight up into the sky, do they? Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's really great advice. Thank you. Um, and I think the whole thing around influencing as well, I think that's hugely important because that's not always easy to do as, um, as, as well. And I guess it's interesting because there is this perception of having to be at a certain level because it's something you're about authority and resource. So sometimes you might feel like we have the resource to be able to influence but not the authority to influence. And I guess that's something that maybe comes with that position of status is is sometimes that feeling of authority. But but I actually think that, you know, there is there are other ways to influence, aren't there, if you understand. So um, I don't know if you wanted to come in on that. Cause, yeah, I mean, just think about nursing nurses and midwives. Mm. Just think about the influence and the impact that you have had on countless people's lives. Mm, exactly, yeah. yeah. And you will be remembered. Mm. You will be remembered. So it may, you know, um, it may not be, um, you know, big ticket sort of go, um, uh, uh, influencing sort of programmes or the standards that we set at the NMC or all of those sorts of things, all really, really important a profound impact on an individual's life, either because you held their hand when they were in pain mm. or because you explained to them what was going on in a way that made sense to them or because actually you spotted that something was going wrong and mm. you stood, you know, I had a brilliant story recently from um, a, 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 a colleague who is on our public voice forum talking the reason why he is involved in doing what he does um, in terms of taking part in, in our public voice forum and other things that that he does around uh, nursing midwifery is that he was um, he took his wife um, to hospital one uh, one day and she was in an acute um, uh, crisis but the doctors were going to discharge her um, from the A&E. And a nurse said, mm, I don't think so. You know, I can see that, and I, I don't know what the specific details were, but anyway, she spotted something. She advocated for them. She spoke to the, the medical team. She got them kind of, you know, kept in the A&E. This woman ended up on um, ICU and in hospital for another two weeks needing kind of emergency surgery. You know, she made a huge direct influence and impact in that moment. But it's also had an influence you know, forevermore because he's now bringing his personal experience to bear so that nurses and midwives of the future 
can do a better job. Mm. Yeah, I I really like that. It's a great way to illustrate influence more broadly because I think often you can go straight to the point of influencing, meaning you have to have a direct impact on a decision, you, you know, but we influence in different ways. So that's a great, thank you for that. I think that's a great way to illustrate the fact that influence is broader than just decision making, isn't it? necessarily and so you you can influence in many different ways can't you and you can have that impact in in different ways as well so thank you for that Andrea I think one of my next kind of questions or talking points was <laughs> more about and I don't know if this is the right thing because I'm sure there's no such thing as a typical day um <laughs> for you but I just wondered I've just got a bit of an, an interest and I'm sure the listeners have as well in terms of we may make assumptions about what a typical day looks like for you but I just wondered if you want to give us a quick insight into what a you know a typical day if there is such a thing does look like for Andrea as this as the as the chief executive and there was an additional part your role that you mentioned earlier that I neglect to um Registrar. Registrar. There we go. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's a typical day look like for you if there is such a thing? There is no such thing. Yeah, I don't um, think there would be. <laughs> I'll kind of, you know, I could just stop there, couldn't I? Yeah. No. There, there, a few things to say, though. So, what 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 is typical is that I do at start early. I've got my to do list. I've got emails. All, yeah. You know, things to sign off correspondence to to clear all of those kind of things and so very often I'll I start by getting up early trying to do a bit of that and um, before the rest of the world wakes up um and and just get myself a little bit clear for the day um it's it's a mixture then of lot you know internal meetings you mm -hmm. know so my one-to-ones with my executive directors, making sure that I'm supporting them, talking through the various issues that we've got. Uh, our executive board, which is our management uh, team meeting, which we have on a weekly basis, going through all the things that we need to do. All sorts of other things that I would be doing internally. And, and then external meetings, because, you know, our... Our relationship with uh, other partners is mm. just so very, very important. So that could be um, meetings with the chief nursing officers. It could be discussions with the Department of Health and Social Care. It, you know, there's a whole host of um, other people, including our fellow regulators. So um, the Gen uh, General Medical Council. You know, I've got a meeting tomorrow morning with Charlie Massey, the chief executive of, of the GMC. And, and that's such, such an important mm. connection. I'm also seeing... Um, Una Spythe, who is uh, the Chief Executive of Skills for Care. So, you know, from the social care perspective, looking at how we work together and how, you know, um, <clears throat> that, that the overlap between us being the regulator for nurses and Skills for Care having an interest in the workforce within social care. And of course, nurses in social care, really very, very important. So, you know, so all sorts of different people that I could be meeting on a on an external basis and then one of the things I love to do absolutely love to do is having my visits um, yeah. and actually getting out and meeting people <clears throat> who are 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 doing the job because I think what's really important for any regulator I thought this when I was at the Care Quality Commission as much as I think uh, of it now is that we've got to have the trust and confidence of the people who we're regulating. Mm. Um, and, and to gain that trust and confidence of the people um, that we're regulating, we've got to understand their world. You know, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a midwife. Um, I, I've worked with nurses and midwives all the way through my career. I have learned so much from them um, at every step of the way. And I still do. And but I, it's not it's not my it's not my profession. So I need to get out. And, you know, last year I had some great visits. I mm. went to a prison for the well, in fact, I went to two prisons last year, but I went to the prison for a visit, I um, hope. For a visit, for the very first time. <laughs> only time I've ever been in a prison. Let's yes, just get that I was just going to say. Um, but, you know, it was it was great to sort mm. of see you know the different environments within which um nurses and midwives are working and and the difference that they can they can make so so there isn't a typical day no. and 
and there'll be different aspects of kind of you know what we're doing so if we think about what the job is for the the NMC you know we're here to regulate so this week I've had conversations about our um, annual report on the quality assurance of our education programs mm -hmm. a very important part of what we do we're looking at the implementation of the new um, uh, English language standards um, uh, and changes that we're bringing there. We'll be taking um, a, a paper to our council this month around uh, proposals to change some of the pre-registration education programme standards. So I've been looking at the paper that we're developing on that. So, you know, lots around the regulatory space. Um, we've got a big issue at the moment which is our fitness practice uh, caseload is yes. too high yeah. and it's taking too long for us to get through individual cases so again I've had conversations this week about some of the things that we're doing to try and tackle that on that that we regulate but we also want to do it in a supportive way mm -hmm. so you know that's what the the visits are all about is kind of making sure that um we can do that but also about providing advice i mean you know we we've got um some really difficult circumstances going on at the moment so i was putting out and being very clear about our position mm -hmm. around industrial action yeah. and the fact that um uh professionals on our register have every right to take part in lawful um, uh, industrial action including strike action but that the code in terms of you know professional conduct still applies um, for anybody whether they're working on those days or not so you know those sorts of things you know we're, we're constantly looking at and talking about and as we quite rightly kind of talked about before, <clears throat> that influence. So mm. we've got the prospect of regulatory reform over the next couple of years. What you we're expecting the uh, consultation document on that to come out shortly, and you know, we're preparing ourselves for how we respond to that, how we work with partners on it. So all of those sorts of things. Yeah. It's all going on all the time. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's it doesn't matter. I mean, what I what I um, hear and experience is it. You know, at different levels, nobody's got a typical day really. If they, you've got the normal jogging stuff, which is the emails and the, the other stuff that you kind of refer to. But then there's the reactive stuff. You know, reacting to what's going on um, currently, and yeah, which actually leads me quite nicely into um, the next question because I think we probably can't really sit here and kind of not um, and not speak about the fact that there's lots of challenges out there at the minute for nurses and and, and midwives and other healthcare professionals. Um, you know, it's it's the NHS in general. There's huge challenges out there at the minute, isn't there? But you know, at the end of the day, you are. You know, you are a regulator for nurses and, and midwives. So what do you think is the biggest, I mean, what do you think are the biggest challenges for nurse, nurses and midwives in terms of leadership um, at the minute? You know, what are the what are the biggest challenges in your mind for nurses and midwives or nurse leadership and, and midwifery leadership at the minute? Well, I think I think that there's um, the first and foremost one. Are the conditions that people are having to work in at the moment mm. uh, i just you knew it i know from both talking to um people who are working uh, uh, across health and social care in so many different settings at the moment how incredibly tough it is for professionals and what an impact that is happen having on the public and you know of course that's been impacted on by the pandemic and impacted on by workforce shortages and mm. by increasing demand, some of which has been caused by the pandemic, but other, other reasons for demand uh, increasing as well. And, and the reason why I think this is a leadership challenge is because we've got to keep going. Mm. <laughs> you know, you know, we, the, the health and social care system, it can't say, oh, no, we're just like, going to give up for a few few weeks just to sort of you know recover and all of the rest of it we have to keep going so as leaders how do we support people through all of that to cope with those difficult conditions and particularly to cope with the um if i might call the psychological impact mm. of not being able to do the job as well as you would want to do it yeah which i think has a real profound effect 
on the professionals on our register. You know, it's not what they want to be doing. They don't want to be having to apologise to people in an ambulance waiting to get into A&E. They don't want to be kind of um, compromising people's dignity by nursing them in a corridor. They don't want to be um, saying, I'm really sorry, you, you, you can't be discharged um, uh, to go home because we haven't got the people to provide the services in the community that we need. Mm. They don't want to be a district nurse kind of pitching up late um, because they're um, their caseload is just mushroomed and they're racing from pillar to post and you know they don't they people don't want to be providing services in in, in that context so as leaders mm. we've got to um, recognize that we've got to support people um, we've got to um, uh, be continuing to do the work that will address the long-term problems yeah. um, because, you know, uh, we've got to do the immediate reactive stuff, but we've also got to be thinking proactively about what we can do to improve things for the future. And we've also got to um, support people in terms of their own health and well-being and ensuring that they've got, you know, the, the, re the release valves mm. um, and and all of those sorts of things. So I, I think I think currently the conditions that people are working in absolutely provides a, a real challenge. But I think there are two others that I would want to mention because <clears throat> they, they they worry me a lot as well, mm, and we yeah. might lose them in 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 the in the immediate kind of crisis that we're looking at at the moment from a workforce from a working conditions point of view. And the first is around discrimination. Um, mm. And we, you know, the register is getting much more diverse. Yeah. And we're, you know, nearly half of the people that came onto the register last year came from overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, and, and we also know that people, particularly from um, what I think we should be calling the global majority, you know, have a worse experience mm -hmm. um, and we recently did some work with NHS England and the NHS Confederation on producing an anti-racist resource which whilst it was created in England for um, the NHS actually can be used across all four countries and in all sectors I think and it just kind of brings to the fore you know, some of those real challenges that we've got to mm -hmm. try and ensure that we are um, tackling racism, tackling discrimination of any sort, um, and tackling some of um, uh, the, the the problems that people are facing, uh, and supporting them better. So uh, that continues, I think, to be a, a really important leadership challenge that we cannot ignore. Yeah, absolutely. And the third one. And if I haven't been controversial enough up till now, maybe I will be now. Um, but <laughs> go for the it. One is, I think there's a real challenge around the position and status of nursing and midwifery um, at the moment. Mm. And and I say that because we know that there's um, we know that that we haven't got enough people. Yeah. And so everybody wants us to knit more nurses and knit more midwives more quickly um, mm. uh, than, than before yeah. and sad to say one of those chestnuts that keeps on coming round you know should should nursing be a, a degree occupation yeah um, for goodness sakes you know safety critical roles yeah in a complex system with the conditions that people are, 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 are having to cope with in terms of um, uh, the comorbidities that um, uh, patients and, uh, and people using health and social care services have. You know, of course, we need the best qualified, the best educated, course, the yeah. best supported people to do that. But I just see you know, people not, not getting that that's what nurses and midwives do mm -hmm. and therefore thinking that we can cut corners and we can't and we shouldn't and and I think that is a leadership challenge mm. is for us to continually be clear about the impact that nurses midwives and in England nursing associates have um, the importance of that education training and development 
and the importance of their ongoing education, training and development after they've qualified. Yeah. Um, and and that they need to be heard, their voices need to be heard as well. Um, I mean, just this week, we've had Baroness Mary Watkins um, appointed to the board of NHS England. Yes, I saw that this morning, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, she is fantastic. Yeah. But that's brilliant. Mm. Getting nurses um, and midwives um, into these senior positions so that that leadership voice can be heard so important, yeah. I think, um, uh, because you know, very often it's neglected. Yeah, and that goes back to that whole conversation around influencing again, isn't it? And unfortunately, it's society at large as, as opposed to, you know, kind of NHS hierarchy or whatever. Hierarchy exists in lots of different organisations, doesn't it? Whether that's the Ministry of Defence, whether that's nursing, whether that's, you know, the GMC, wherever. There's there's hierarchy. There's hierarchy in society. There's a there are class issues in society. So it's 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 ingrained, isn't it, in terms of so there is you it's difficult to get away from that, you know, actually you need to be in a position to be able to influence and have that. One of the things I was in I've been introduced to over the last twelve months is something called a power map and it's something that was that's used in like social campaigns. So mm-hmm. rather than looking at your stakeholders in terms of influence and impact that they have on whatever you're trying to do, this is more around, are they aligned to your social, what you're trying to do? And, and where, you know, what level of clinical decision making influence authority do they have? And, that, and then how you leverage those relationships. Everything we do is relational, isn't it? And unfortunately, a lot of what we do at the minute is very political or you know that's a big you know that's the landscape we in which we try we have to influence currently isn't it which is hugely challenging i think one of the things for me in all of this is how do we broker hope because mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing here isn't it is like how do we broker hope for people you know we need that realistic optimism we need some optimism but it needs some realism attached to it of course it does you can't be i'm not suggesting we all go uh, you know i because i can i am very much cup half full or or i almost you know full full or whatever and and maybe sometimes i think that people might think to me oh god here she goes again you know come on you know things are really broken i'm like i know things are really broken i'm not completely devoid of that understanding I know I have friends and who are nurses and they tell me and, and, you know, all those sorts of things. But there must be a way to broker hope. They broker hope when they go into, when these rescue people go in to these terribly devastated islands from, you know, Mother Nature's rage or whatever. They have to try and broker hope then because how else are we able, to, how else do we pick up the pieces and move on? We have to do something, you know, whatever that is. So I don't know, if, did you have any kind of views on that kind of like brokering hope, how we might as leaders help to broker hope for people? Well, I think I think that, and I, I'm i not as, as good as you at remembering who all the quotes come from, but um, somebody has said, you know, that the role of leaders is to give hope. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that you're right. That's not, you know, sort of motherhood and apple pie and being Pollyanna and everything's absolutely lovely in the garden. We're ignoring some of the things that are falling around (laughs) our heads. Um, But but even in those circumstances, we can individually and collectively make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And that's the hope that I think that we can give people is that we can make a difference. And as I say, you know, um, uh, that that example I gave earlier about a nurse standing up for her patient and, you know, um, changing the course um, of her clinical care, which, you know, changed her life. Um, That that's that sort of thing, you know, we can still do. We can still do. And and I think that, you know, celebrating those successes is just still so very important oh absolutely and 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 also be saying thank you Mm. you know it's i mean this may sound you know trite and daft but just saying thank you for people for giving that extra mile for you um coming in um uh, uh after a really tough shift and but doing it again um and and because if people feel valued mm. they feel valued 
then that absolutely um, uh, will help them uh, in terms of keeping on keeping on going. So I think I think it is important, and I think that you've got to role model it. Um, you know, so uh, you've got you've got you've got to kind of be able to um, uh, to have uh, a sensitization to the circumstances that people are in, but then role model the fact that, yes, we can still make a difference. Yes, we can move it forward. You know, um, this too will pass, as they say, yeah. um, but uh, we 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 need to also understand the impact that it can have on people and try and um, uh, mitigate that for folk as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think you, you're right. You know, it's there are hard things happening, hard conversations um to people and systems and processes feel very broken right now and um yeah but brokering hope is that that's something that I feel that I, I can try and do in terms of this challenging and time and you know that might land well with some people and it might not land so well with others but I'm okay with that and you know it's hard but we can do hard things if we do it collectively I think what you talked about there this collective leadership and compassionate leadership I think is is hugely important in this time and I know there'll be people out there that will challenge that and and that's fine because you know we're not an echo chamber we all think differently and we all approach things differently yeah. but there are a huge amount of people out there that will that will resonate with and I think that's that's okay as well yeah. isn't it so I think that sounds that's a tough conversation. So I think it would be I think thank you so much for your honesty and thank you for you know being very honest and open around some of those challenges. I think I think that's important and I think it'll be important to our listeners. So thank you so much for that. And I think I I, I think talking about brokering hope. I'm going to try and move us into something a little bit more lighthearted. So. Um, I know it's been great having this conversation with you. And I think there's so many things, I've, as you know, I make notes when I'm having these these conversations with people. So much more I could pick up on um, with you and maybe we can have another conversation at another time. But I think, it, you know, before I release you back into the big wide world of regulation, um, the, we always ask a couple of things of our of, of our um I was going to call you a listener then you're not a listener of our guests sorry <laughs> before we before we close the the episode and the first thing really is do you have a leadership mantra or or, or, a, or a book or anything that you kind of draw on on a day-to-day -day basis to help you to be the best leader that that you want to be so I love Mayor Angeling um mm, and I love I, I, I love um, some of the things, the very, very wise things that she says. Um, and that's that's where my mantra comes from, is um, uh, one of her quotes. I mean, actually, there's several of her quotes. I I'm mean, sure. the, one, the one about being the, the rainbow and people uh, in somebody else's cloud is is really good as well. But the one that um, that I use is people will forget what what you said. Mm. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And and I think that one is so important um, uh, because it takes me to that centering on the individual, on the person. You know, we we say our, our values um, for the Nursing and Midwifery Council. Um, yes, we've got ambitious in there. Yes, we've got collaborative in there, but we've also got to be fair and to be kind. And that is actually about how do you make people feel yeah. um, and uh, treating them with dignity and respect, you know, um, celebrating their diversity, um, making sure that you are treating people fairly, all of those kind of good things. Yeah. That's what sits on my shoulder. Fantastic. Love it. I love a bit. I love Mayor Angelou. She is very wise. I, I am a huge fan of the rainbow in somebody else's cloud. Um, and she's there's a video that where she talks about that. And it's oh, it's every time it gets me every time it gets me. So and the other one is 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 watching her read um, Still I Rise. Which, oh, yeah. yeah. Powerful. Yeah, gets goosebumps. <laughs> All goosebumpy. I know I'm, oh, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Um, and Last but not least, for a bit of fun, um, really, it's three dinner guests. So who are you going to invite to dinner? Uh, dead or alive, real or fictional? Who would you like at your dinner table, Andrea? So, um, 
given that I'm kind of doing doing this conversation, I I think I need to uh, go to a couple of my nursing heroes. So um, the first is Edith Cavell, um, who I when I was um, oh gosh, a long time ago. Let's just say <laughs> not that long, um, surely. <laughs> you'd be surprised um uh there was a book that i read about um uh, about kind of women heroes and i just thought she was amazing absolutely amazing so she would be one the the second one is one that i've learned about since i've done this job um which is ethel gordon fennick um who is the number one nurse on our register and is she campaigned for the regulation of nursing um, oh, wow. and yeah uh, and you know uh, there's a, a lovely little article that we got on our website um uh, about ethel and uh, she's obviously the reason why i've got a job so you know clearly i'd like to have her around the dinner table so i could say thank you yes um, absolutely and then i was thinking well Given that you asked that question about your quotes and everything, I would just love to meet Mayor Angel. Oh, Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah. Um, so um, there's lots of other people, obviously, that I would love to spend time with too. But um, given that you've pinned me down on three, um, those would be mine. I know it's mean, really, isn't it? Because I think it is. It is a tricky question, and but I and I, whenever I ask people, I've got my kind of three in mind and then whenever I ask people I'm like oh maybe I swap one of them out for that one <laughs> but I never do I'm very loyal so I've I stick so who to are my three, three then? so so I should make you listen to my podcast ever. But, but so my three are um the so I call them the inventor uh the scientist and the imagineer or, or the creator so it's actually the inventor is Steve Jobs um mm -hmm. and then the scientist is Albert Einstein because um there's something about uh, abstract to concrete, that complexity to making things easy. I think that's something that's really important, helping people to understand abstract stuff, um, which is challenging sometimes in, in, in what we do. Um, and then the Imagineer is Walt Disney. I mean, he, I know, you know, he, Steve Jobs was reported to be a bit of a tyrant, as was Walt Disney. So, um, but that doesn't take away from, I know. Um, but in terms of their achievements and what they achieved, you know, that's kind of where, we, yeah, that's where I am. So, yeah, they kind of, they, they stay with me, but they're like you, so many other people, so many other people. So, again, Andrea, thank you so much for your time um, and sitting with me today and having this conversation i really really enjoyed i hope you have too i'm sure been great i'm sure our listeners will get a lot a lot from it so um for now it's goodbye from andrea goodbye and thank you very much and thank you again andrea and it's goodbye from us at the leadership blog until next time thanks for listening to the leadership blog where we're navigating everyday leadership this is a non-affiliated podcast and any views, thoughts and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests belong solely to them and not necessary to their employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual.